Here's the story of two dental hygienists from opposite sides of the world who became friends because they realized their professional lives were so in sync. One in Australia and one in America, both exuding the passion for high-level patient care, both pushing back on legacy dentistry. If you're ready to revolutionize the practice of dental hygiene through science and innovation, join us as we are disrupting dentistry. Hi, my name's Tabitha. I'm a dental hygienist from Australia. And hello, my name is Melissa. I'm a dental hygienist in America. Thank you very much if you're tuning back in for a second time with us or if you're a new listener. We're really excited to be sharing our podcast with you. Yes, we are so happy to be doing this. And the feedback that we've been getting has been so amazing. So thank you, thank you, thank you. We're going to keep on disrupting it with our friends in dental hygiene and dentistry in general. So today our topic is going to be I'm a dental hygienist, hear me raw, and it's in honor of Dental Hygiene Month. And Dental Hygiene Month is traditionally something in the USA, but a lot of Australian hygienists are joining in and we're making posts and celebrating because we really feel it should be global. It shouldn't just be for America. We should all be celebrating dental hygiene and dental hygienists around the globe. 110%. We are all brothers and sisters in this profession and it's so essential that we raise awareness and let our patients know and empower them so that they understand what they should be expecting when they're in the chair and the treatment they get and that's gonna you know keep us all kind of honest and keep us calibrated and keep us on the same page and that way we can just rise up and and keep on working hard for these people that we serve i think it's an amazing profession and we talked about in the first episode how excited we are to be part of this profession and I'm going to run through very quickly a little bit of history on dental hygiene which Melissa probably already knows because the first dental hygienist program started in the USA in 1913 by Dr. Phones which is where Siobhan one of our friends she actually trained at Phones University and Melissa and I were lucky enough to actually present a lecture to that university the other week on implants. So very, very cool. Yeah, very cool. cool. It's like, whoa, we are back to where it all began. It's like I have so much respect for that institution and so many amazing hygienists are faculty there. So many amazing hygienists have come out of that program and continue their education in that program. And to just be part of it in a small way is just so amazing. I was very, very excited and very honoured when we got asked to be part of that. So the program actually started in 1913. Uh, He opened the first dental hygiene school in Bridgeport, Connecticut to train dental hygienists to educate children in self-care and provide preventative oral health services. The Bridgeport Board of Education hired graduates of the first class to clean children's teeth and provide oral health education. Five years after the program was implemented, Dr. Phones found a a two-thirds reduction in the incidence of dental caries, and he also observed improvements in academic performance and a decrease in the incidence of communicable diseases. How awesome is that? And that's 1917. I want to just highlight the communicable diseases portion because we're still not in 2020. We're still not where we should be with that. That's what I took away from this as well, is that this is from 1917 and we probably are not celebrating that amazing thing that he found and implementing the evidence from 1917 enough. I agree 110%. And and the science has just shown us over and over again 
how critical our care is and our role in healthcare is so tremendous. We, we are so uniquely designed to help patients in a way that medicine can't. What I'm hoping is that this podcast helps other hygienists embrace that yeah. and take that to the next level because there's so much learning we still all have to do and we can get there faster if we're all doing it together. 100%. And I'd like to give a big salute to Irene Newman, who became the first licensed dental hygienist in the world and in the USA. And, in with the, and within the next three years, six more states followed and licensed with licensed dental hygienists. So how cool is that? So she was the very first one. And the very first dental hygienist. Is this in your curriculum at all? No, I looked this all up online. <laughs> Okay, because we like this is this is ingrained in us. Oh, in us. so for sorry for the USA hygienists who know this, but for Australian hygienists, we we don't really learn about this this much. Um, in 1950, dental hygienists were recognised in Canada, and the University of Toronto established the first dental hygiene program in the country. In 1965, we had our first male hygienist, Jack Oreo, and he graduated from the University of New Mexico. Oh, see, that's a tidbit I did not know. Thank you, Jack Oreo, for paving the way for the hygienists out there. Yeah, so I love I, that. So do I. I'd like to see more men in our profession. I really don't like how we get seen as a profession for women and cleaning. I don't even. I'd, yes. I'd like to see it more men because I feel when more men come in, sadly, I feel we'll get more respect. <laughs> I know it <laughs> sounds horrible, but I really feel like that. I agree. We're, we're no longer, oh, the cute little girl that cleans my teeth. Yeah. Sorry for the uh, sound effect. <laughs> <laughs> and in 1974, dental hygienists were employed by the government in New Zealand to treat members of the New Zealand Army. Wow. In 1975, the dental hygiene profession was introduced into Australia. So we are actually, it's quite new in Australia. We came a lot later. A little bit of history for um, people listening from outside of Australia. The first dental hygienists in Australia were actually... Um, imported from the USA and we've got a strong American dental hygienist history within Australia because we didn't have a school here to start with so dentists would bring American hygienists in to teach which is super um, exciting um, but it was actually illegal for a long time in Australia and there were dentists that actually had to work together and go to the high court and fight for dental hygienists to be legal in Australia because they were working illegally for a little while. So there's a really cool history behind the first dental hygienists here, a lot of them American, really fighting for the rights for dental hygiene and bringing it into Australia. And so I salute all of them, those, those really hardworking that everything was up against them and people were really against them and people didn't know what they were and they thought they were stealing work and they didn't want them in our country. They've paved the way for so many of us and I wouldn't have my career without them. So if any of them are listening or if you know them, give them a big hug for dental hygiene. Mom, yes. say a big, big thank you for us. That's, that's something I love that you made that point because I think in National Hygiene Awareness Month, we should recognize the trailblazers and the out-of-the-box thinkers and the fighters who wouldn't take no for an answer and just kept pushing, pushing, pushing through and let that inspire you in your very own operatory because I know from myself in the past, I would, you know, get excited about something and, and ask the, uh, the dentist or the, you know, and the office manager, if we can implement something different and I would get a no and I would just get deflated and put my head down and keep chugging along. And I don't want other people to feel that way, you know? Yeah. 
it's, I've been very blessed that I've had people in my life mentor me and show me the way and say, no, don't take no for an answer and rise up and do this and, and keep chugging along and, and you'll make it happen. And just what you shared about getting dental hygiene recognized in Australia is exactly that kind of mentality. So don't let people tell you no. Just keep pushing forward. And sometimes if you keep getting a no over and over and over again in that particular office, maybe it's time to sit back and think and reevaluate. Is this the spot I should really be right now? Maybe it's time to move on. And that's okay. You're not, like, there's very few hygienists that start in an office and finish in an office. No, I, don't and I, I don't think I want to. <laughs> <laughs> no, and you know what? I, I personally, I don't know about you, Tabitha, the longest I have lasted in a practice, at that point, I guess it's like I feel like I've done everything I could have done in the practice into the hygiene department, and it's running well, and I, I, I don't know. I, I'm Eight years is the max for me. <laughs> Yeah, I think that, yeah, you have to be careful in a job where it is a bit monotonous in some ways to not to get stagnant. And sometimes moving on isn't about not loving that practice, but it's about just re-energising yourself and having a new challenge and a new set of people. And that can be really scary, but super exciting at the same time. A hundred percent. And loving yourself enough to know that it might be time to go. After the quick history of dental hygiene, I want to know what your top three reasons why you're proud to be a dental hygienist. Oh my gosh, top three. Okay, well, I can change people's lives in a meaningful way every single day with my job. I can, I get to interact with so many different people and I get to make unhealthy people well. You stole my and three top things. I'm sorry, Papa. <laughs> That's because you're my sister from another mister. I feel exactly the same. So, uh, you know, making people healthy, I think we do get to change lives. And I love meeting new people or the relationships that you build with your existing patients. Oh, my God. Um, Absolutely. You know, they're equal. Like, and just learning the things I learn from my patients is something that I really, really love. You know, the stories they tell me or the advice that they give me or um, the things that they share with us, because I really feel patients share a lot with us in our they profession. Do. They really open up and tell us a lot of things. And that's a really big honour to have people share things that are going on that they're upset about or they're happy about. But, yeah, like patients have helped me with so many things that I'm stuck with this. You were talking about, and they're like, oh, well, actually, this is what I do for a job. And, you know, and they'll share that information with you. And I think that's really cool that transfer of knowledge um, bi-directional with each other because they're really happy to help you with things and and I just love that friendship that you form with them and you know you've got those patients where you see them in the book and you're like yes they're coming in today <laughs> like, and it just gives you a big smile and you're like oh, I'm so excited to see them and you remember what they told you last time and you want to know how that holiday went or how their child's wedding went or something like that and I really look forward to that it's like I get to have eight catch-ups a day with friends. That's how I kind of feel. It's a, such an amazing, wonderful aspect of our profession. I have had patients help me train my dogs. I have had patients help me learn how to garden. <laughs> like, I can't even tell you. I parent my kids. Like, it's been, it's been wonderful. Just some of the heart-to-heart -heart conversations that you get to have. And, and I love how you put that it's bi-directional because there's so many times that, that, I would share information with a patient that was so far beyond dental hygiene and even just helping patients understand their worth 
and knowing that, you know, a lot of mental health issues can come up in our environment because it's a very, for some people, it's a very scary place to be. And um, when you show that kindness and you go above and beyond to make them comfortable, I'm a friend right there. And they're just so appreciative of you taking that extra step to ensure their happiness and their comfort. And then they just want to give, give, give right back to you. So it's, it's just an amazing relationship that we get to have with people. When I left, um, I've been at a practice for seven years, funny enough, when you're talking about it. And I, I left them because I felt that it was time to move on. And um, I went to another practice where I learned a lot out and had a really great time. But uh, obviously, you know, it's really sad because I didn't get to say goodbye to all of your patients because you don't right. give six months notice to some patients. And, and you feel this like sickness in you of like, oh, God, they think I just like left them. And, you know, because of patient confidentiality and appropriateness, you can't contact them to tell them that you're leaving. You just have to leave. And But I got all these LinkedIn messages from patients contacting me and saying, look, I, I've heard that you're gone and I just wanted to say good luck and I've loved being with you. And it was so nice to get those messages and to hear that. And some of those people... Um, contacted me on Facebook after I left and I stayed in contact with them. And it's just really nice to realize that as much as I really love them, they had that, they did feel that connection back as well. And, you know, one of the um, patients messaged me and he goes, I'm sure you're just going to go off and soar somewhere because you're so amazing. Like, and you know, like that's just so nice. It's like, I'll miss you, but you've got bigger things to do. (laughs) It's amazing how we recognize that, right? Like you can see it and it's, it's, I had a similar experience just recently because I parted ways with my practice with uh, in the wake of COVID and getting letters in the mail and phone calls and messages. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's nice to hear those things because you know that your hard work was appreciated and it, it, it is hard when you separate from a practice because you've been taking care of these people for however many years and you do have all those relationships and it's, it's, it's a sad separation. Like, and, and the people will just pop in my head. I'm like, oh, I wonder how they're doing, <laughs> you know? I think sometimes when you're leaving a practice, it's a bit like a breakup. Like, and like with that dentist, it's a bit like you've had a relationship breakup and they get to keep the kids <laughs> with the patients. And it's, yeah, right? it can be quite traumatic in that sense of that having that breakup and, and stepping away. That can be very hard. And I definitely have missed that relationship with patients sometimes when you've left them and to move on and do something different. It's, But, you know, it's with every positive, there's a negative. So we got those great years with them and building those relationships. And I'm very thankful for what that has brought into my life and how it's enhanced it. Absolutely. I, I'm not going to, I'll be vulnerable enough to say it, that I totally cried for probably a week and a half after <laughs> yeah. on a daily basis. I just was upset. I was upset never seeing them again, never giving, saying a proper goodbye to them. Um, I didn't want them to feel like I just left them. Yeah. Even though, I mean, that's kind of how it went down, but it, it was just, it was sad. It was yeah. really sad. What are the top three things you think you find hard about being a dental hygienist? Oh gosh, it's funny because it's kind of like I liken <laughs> wanting to be a dental hygienist, and this is going to sound funny, but like getting pregnant. And when you're pregnant, nobody tells you these crazy things that happen to your body, and you just experience them along the way. And you're like, why? Like millions of women have been pregnant. Why did no one tell me about this? And so that you do it. 
I feel like dental hygiene is a little bit like that. Is that, you know, you're so excited to, you know, have your own schedule and take care of your own patients and, and, you know, put your own spin on, on your care and how you've learned to do things in, in academia. And then you get into the office and you realize like, I'm all by myself. I'm responsible for this schedule and this room and my instruments. I really don't have help. Um, but, you know, if I'm a few minutes behind, they're going to be right there wanting to know why I'm not done yet. And But nobody's really offering a hand to help me get back on track. And not because they don't want to, because they're busy with their own things, too. And then there's the times where you're, you know, you have a full day of schedule and patients one after another. And then for some reason, the doctor's schedule has is light or fell apart. And everybody's in the back room laughing and eating and having fun and you're there working and you're like gee thanks or <laughs> I, I'll never forget I was so busy and it was my the week of my birthday and they stopped me to have cake in the middle of a patient and I'm like it's my birthday and you're stopping me from working to have cake because you guys want to go home nice. <laughs> <laughs> so it's 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 a lot of you know, you're kind of like a lone wolf, especially if you're the only hygienist in the practice. And even if you're not the only hygienist in the practice, if you're in a busy practice, you're still in your op, they're in their op. And, and the crossover time, you know, to even like take a break and, and chat about something is very minimal. So I feel like we really have to, you know, get build like a strong backbone and, and not let those things really bother you because if you focus on it, it could be very debilitating. And, um, and like some days you're just in a mood and you're like, you know, why is everybody having fun? And I'm back here working. <laughs> <laughs> so it just depends on the day and, and you and the patients and gosh, there's so many factors that could, could evolve with that. But I think that that's definitely a downside to our profession is that we're really kind of on our own. Yeah. I, I think that, one of the other things I find quite hard is I think because patients do share a lot with us, they sometimes unload a lot of their baggage onto us. So they're either can be rude and aggressive towards us because that's how they're showing their fear or their worry, or they share something quite traumatic with us, which is quite an honor when you think about it. But I definitely feel that when you go home after a day like that, you're just so exhausted mentally from the sharing, the concern, the worry, all the things that you take on in that situation. You know, and I, I definitely, um, I remember I was my first week out as a dental hygienist. It was just before Christmas because we graduate, like we end, um, our years are different. So we start school in the January and finish in the November, December. So by the time I got my license and everything organised, I was starting just before Christmas. And it's that you, you learn how busy a dental surgery is when you get into it before Christmas. It just becomes bedlam. Um, for us, <laughs> that's when our dental insurance kicks over at the end of the year for a lot of the insurance companies as well. So they want to use their insurance before it runs out and stuff like that. So you've got all of that stuff going on. And I was talking to this patient and I said, how are you going? And she said, a really bad, I think I want to kill myself. Mm. and I was like no one prepared me for this no. and we didn't get any dental work done she just cried for the whole hour um I just sat and listened and then I gave her some um 
like a number of like a helpline and some other stuff. And But then when I went home that night, I didn't sleep because I'm looking at the roof going, is she okay? Like, have I done everything right? Is this, and that's, you know, a really big emotional toll. And I'm sure that happens to everyone at some point in their career or just things that they share with you. Um, you know, a patient that shared with me that they'd been sexually assaulted and that's why they were so nervous in the practice. You go home and you think about those things and you really take it on. So I found that for me personally, a very difficult aspect of dental hygiene because I do connect with those patients and I do build those relationships and I do really love my patients as people when they have something traumatic happen to them or, you know, they lose a partner or a child or something like that, that is an emotional day. And you come home and you just feel like I am spent. And it's a really important lesson if you're a new grad to learn out how, to learn really quickly how to take care of your own mental health in those situations because it can really get you down if you're not careful and if you're taking that on every day and really in like, You've just got to make sure that you've got someone to maybe go speak to um, or you've got a way that you maybe you go for a run. That's not me, but maybe like you're a really good person. <laughs> maybe you eat your feelings like me. But <laughs> maybe you eat a kilo of chocolate and that makes you feel better. <laughs> like, I don't recommend it, but I, it's been working well for me except for my pants. But it's... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, this is, you've got to figure out how you're going to self-care. I think that's really, really important. But I really identify with what you were talking about with being the loneliest job in the office because we chatted about this quickly before we got online. But I see a lot of practices and I've been in this practice where the dentists had clinical meetings but the hygienists weren't invited. Mm, it was just for the dentist cool. to go to and the dentist had a staff room that an office that they could go into but the hygienist sat with the nurses but then at the end of the year when bonuses were given only assistants got them because we were clinicians wow. <laughs> so we, we yeah. never really fitted anywhere in the sometimes i feel like in the office the dentists don't accept us as part of the clinical team but we're not part of the nursing team and we're in this limbo position in the middle. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. I haven't been in a practice where I was excluded to that extent. <laughs> it's like they want you to be this you know, productive person in the practice and you have your own schedule and you have your own income stream for the practice and they want all of that from you. But then when you want to come up they want to keep you under their thumb in the sense that, well, you're, you're not a dentist. And I know I'm not a dentist. I don't want to be a dentist. If I did, I would have went to dental school. I want to do prevention. I want to do therapy. And I want to have that connection with my patients. Not, I'm not saying that they don't, but in a different way. So it's like you just don't know in the hierarchy of the practice where you really fit. Because it's like you get to that point, And I know I feel like I did, where you get to the point where it's like you're, you're rising, 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 learning more, getting better just honing out on your craft and then you hit this point you know like it's there's a there's a threshold that you can never pass because there's this doctor hygienist thing and I, I'm not saying that every dentist has it because I have talked to so many dentists that are leaders and they uh, are inspirational and they want to see their hygiene team thrive but I just feel that it is not the norm yet I'm very hopeful that it will become the norm. It's just not there yet because 
what's the difference? Like, and for people who are in Australia or somewhere else in the world that maybe don't know the geography, um, New Jersey and New York are next to each other. So there'd be a point where there'd be a, a road where one side's New York and one side's New Jersey, right? And that's where I live. I yeah. you'll come off of my street and turn right and I'm in New York. <laughs> so, so it's funny, isn't it? Because on one side of the road you can do this and on the other side of the road you can do yeah. that. <laughs> it's it's, it's actually down to kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Like, let me, yeah, let me put one foot in each state and see which way I can practice. <laughs> But I think um, what we just talked about then, though, too, also relates back to what we talked about in the first podcast is you're not just being interviewed, you're interviewing the practice. So make sure you're going to a practice where that dentist um, or that specialist or the owner, maybe in Australia we've got non-dental people now buying practices, are a cheerleader of you and you're a cheerleader of them. You should be cheering each other on to be the best clinicians. And I 100% agree with you. If that dentist is cheering us on to be the best that we can be, we're only going to benefit them in their practice. We're only going to bring in, we're only going to be inspired to learn more and be more and, and work harder and and be the best clinicians we can be. And that just benefits everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, word of mouth. You get ROI every day off of a happy patient. Yeah, that return on investment from a happy patient, and especially one like you were saying earlier when you were touching on all those really you know, heart-wrenching, traumatic things that our patients go through. I've, I got to the point where I loved, not that I loved that people went through things and had trauma, don't get me wrong, but I loved serving them in my operatory and converting them. And, and just watching that change from visit to visit as they were like terrified and shaking in the waiting room and saying, oh, I really don't like coming in here. I don't want to, I really don't want to see, no offense. That's my yeah. favorite. Yeah, no, no offense. Yeah. <laughs> One day I had a relationship with the patient enough to turn around and she was in the middle of her conversion. She wasn't quite there yet. And she goes, oh, we're back at this again already. I really don't want to see you today. I go, well, fine. I don't want to see you either. I'll go have a cup of coffee instead. And we started laughing. So, it, you know, it's just breaking that ice and, and trying to be fun with them too. But it's it's just, it's tough, you know, when you have these difficult situations, but like, it's fun to be able to just find ways to make them comfortable and find yeah. ways to take that edge off. And I think it takes a point where you're, you're comfortable with yourself as a clinician and your skill set. And you, you know, it's not, it's definitely not something I did as a baby hygienist. I was actually awful at that as a baby hygienist. I was threatened by it and scared of it and, you know, didn't do a good uh, clinical job because I didn't want to, cause pain or make it worse for them. So I feel them in every single way in that aspect. But um, I don't know when it changed for me. But it it definitely got to the point where it was like, I just wanted to not make this so hard for them. And I would pull out all the stops to do everything I could. And, And those are the patients that you get those letters from. And thank you so much for caring for me. And I've never had a hygienist treat me the way you've had. And I so appreciate you and never leave here and all those fun things. I used to be an eye roller. I'll admit to this. I'm really, I still am an eye roller, but I used to be an anxious patient eye roller where I'd be thinking, (laughs) oh God. And I think that, again, I wasn't serving them very well. I was (laughs) eye rolling behind them and thinking, you know, I don't need this in my day. And I went to a really good lecture 
and I can't remember the lady's name, so I'm real. Actually, I think it's Dr. Marilyn Dooley. <laughs> it's just come to my head. She's yeah. from Melbourne and she's a dental therapist, but she also went and did a psychology degree as well. And now she teaches at Melbourne University in psychology. And she gave an amazing lecture and she talked about why people are anxious and the reasons that can be behind that. And I had an aha moment in, in there and I was like, yeah, it's not really about dentistry sometimes. <laughs> and mm. um, now when I have an anxious patient, I realise it has nothing to do with me. Right. I'm not actually the reason for this and I may never find out the reason for it. But what they actually need is kindness and compassion and that's all that's really important at that moment is that I am the best person I can be to them. And maybe I won't even fix them of their anxiety or win them over. But as long as I have done everything nice, I've shown kindness, I've shown compassion and I've worked with them, then I can feel happy. But I actually love the anxious patient like you because I see them as this real, like a real challenge is I'm going to get you off that Valium and I'm going to get you loving your appointments. And it's going to be my challenge and this is what we're going to do. And and I love seeing them go from that patient that's shaking in the waiting room. Not that I love that bit like you, but I love seeing right. them come in and say, I'm not, I'm not scared anymore. Or like I had a patient came to the front desk the other day and said, that was actually really nice. <laughs> she was shocked. Right. But, but that it's was amazing. a nice feeling. And I think it's nice when, one, you can build that trust for that patient and see them relax. Like I said, you may never know why they're like that, but there's something going on bigger than you. Totally. You've, you, you're actually nothing to do with this, so stop thinking it's about you. <laughs> like me, who was eye-rolling and thinking, why are they so annoying? I apologise to all those patients. I have changed. I've, ha- I've had my aha moment. <laughs> like, but I think <laughs> you need to think bigger picture with those patients, and, and it can actually become one of the most enjoyable parts of your job. I could not agree more. And I went to a conference and the speaker was talking about the same kind of things and um, not so much in the, the like psychology level, but just saying that hurt people hurt people. And I was like, whoa. So like when they come in, it's not that they hate me per se or hate the dentist or hate what I'm doing. They have something going on in their life and it'll come out as you know being a little aggressive to me or you know just being a little bit rude and this and that and I think it's your journey not just as a dental hygienist but also as a human being working on your own mindset and mental health and things in that aspect that helps you manage people like that better yeah because it's you know when you finally are able to learn exactly what you said it's not me it's their own issue and every you don't know what people are dealing with you know you have no idea what they just did before they walked through the threshold yeah. of your practice or what's going on in their personal lives and um, it's, it's a phrase that I had adopted uh, a few years ago was you know whenever I tell somebody what I might see going on in their mouths and, and the treatment that would be the best way to handle the situation I always say hey but you know what it's got to fit in your life And if it doesn't fit in your life right now, here's what we can do to kind of buy you some time till it does. Or, you know, obviously if there's an infection, it's a different conversation because we need to take care of that immediately. But if it's something that is, you know, not so much like elective, but something that's not so pressing that it needs attention now, I always would use that with patients. I want you to make an educated decision, but it also has to fit in your life. And it, it just seems that, you know, it's, 
you're presenting the treatment to them but you're not being you know so pushy i got one of those reviews once years ago about um the hygienist and her hard sell ways <laughs> and I was like what a jerk but then it, it's like it took me a minute to look back and and be like wait a second how is like how are you approaching this how are you presenting this to these people you know and i think sometimes we have this perception of you know being on this we have number one we have patients laying in a very vulnerable position so yeah. if we're telling them something while they're laying down and mouths open it's kind of like we're nagging them or like can be perceived as us kind of yelling at them so i think a lot of it too is when you have to have a discussion about something that you need your patients to take action on it's important to sit them up and have an eye-to-eye knee-to-knee conversation rather than hovering over top of their bodies because it's all these little things that that you don't even know how they're perceiving your messaging to them. Yeah. And and that's, you know, just being in that vulnerable position, it kind of takes them out of the equation of being able to have a voice, I feel. I think this touches really on, we've got a, a mutual friend um, who's an amazing dental hygienist in America called Miranda Beeson, and she talks a lot about communication and personality types as well, and that kind of links into that. And I think this could that could be an episode on its own. We'll have to have Miranda on. Definitely. But learning communication, learning about the way the patient wants to be communicated to, things like that, not speaking to them while they're laying down and feeling vulnerable. Like They're really important skills that... We didn't really go over that much when I was at university and I'm not sure if training is going over it now. They could be, but they will help you. And I have, I assure you that the, the courses that I've done in this, and I've actually done, I've heard Miranda speak multiple times and I've done other personality like discourses and other um, courses through that on communication. And every single time I do one, I get so much out of it. Oh, 100%. So much. It's such a big help. And even just learning about myself, about things like, like oh, so right. people think that's rude because like, I'm not meaning it like that, but exactly. I just don't have some of the, I just don't think about that. I'm a very direct person. Like I want to get this, this, and this done. And then I forget the pleasantries sometimes when I get really busy. Some people really need that, I found out. <laughs> like, I, I mean, when I'm in the zone, I'm the same way. I'm like, we got to go, you know, because we have we have 60 minutes to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, all the way to Z. Like, there's yeah. a lot we got to do. And if you're waltzing in here five minutes late, I'm like, let's go. I'm already a step behind. Yeah. <laughs> so it's sometimes it's hard not to show that. And there's a really fine line with that because you want your patients to know, hey, you know what? You're late and that's a disrespecting, um, you know, you disrespected our agreement. Our agreement was for you to come at this time. So it's like, that's a really tough situation there, handling that. And, and you know, I learned something about just saying to patients, like when, when I'm late for them, because, you know, with the schedule and things some, that happens all the time, I would, instead of saying, I'm sorry, I'm late, I would open the door and say, thank you so much for your patience. I yeah. appreciate your patience. And it's just like those little shifts in verbiage that make things different. Um because yeah. a lot of times I'm late for things that I couldn't control in my schedule, you know, like waiting for forever. <laughs> I saw this thing in RDH magazine where it did an appointment breakdown and, you know, it had, you know, introducing the patient, medical history, and then it had waiting for the dentist two minutes. And I honestly wanted to email RDH magazine oh, and say, where's this utopia? Because I'll go work there. <laughs> <I've never laughs> Where is this place? 
let me know because I've never heard of it. <laughs> I did show it to my boss at the time and I'm like, see this? They say two minutes. <laughs> That's from the second I call you to the second you put your instruments down. You have two minutes. Yeah. 20 seconds. Let's go. We should start timing them. Yeah, I, I laughed so hard. I was like, what about 15? <laughs> Waiting <At> 15. <laughs> I, my favorite was when you waited 15 and then they decided to have this whole catch-up conversation when the examination was over in your room. Yeah. And I'd be doing a whole dance behind them, like waving my watch, like get out, let's go. I'm flailing my arms right now. I know you can't see me on a podcast, yeah. but um, two minutes is la la land. I'm sorry. Yeah, it I is. I laughed so hard. But <laughs> no way, Jose. Yeah. Not happening. No, um, I was just like, yeah, I've, I've never met this before. And, yeah, it happens to us. We all run late, stuff goes on. And I think one of the other hard things working in a practice is, I don't know if this is for everyone, but I have, I'm terrible at wanting to be liked by everyone at work. So I can be a bit too friendly sometimes, I think, with, and then when I have to give direction to maybe an assistant or a receptionist with that wasn't appropriate or I want you to do this I actually find that part really difficult yeah People are probably shocked by that because I'm, I'm I am quite a direct communicator a lot of the times and I am quite loud and stuff like that but I don't like that confrontation within the workplace because I want to be liked <laughs> yes yes I I agree it's tough when you have a situation that you have to address or something that isn't being done the way you need it to be done. And in order for you to do your job properly, you need that person to do this properly. And I hate having to ask for something more than once. And it's just hard. It's just hard. Like, you know, please do this. Yeah. Please don't make me ask you again. Cause it makes me feel weird and awkward and you know, I need it. Like my biggest pet peeve is medical history updates. Like they need to be done annually. That's not, there's no, no negotiating that. It needs to get done. And, you know, so then when your patient comes in five, 10 minutes late and they're due for their medical update, you know, now you're 20 minutes minimum yeah. behind in your, your day. And I don't think that everybody in the practice understands that pressure that goes on you as the hygienist to do your job, do it well, do it thoroughly and still stay on time. Yeah. You know, and, and time is such a tough, I think that's one of the worst parts of our job too. I, I hate the clock. I hate looking at the clock. You know, I, I'd be like mid scale and look over just to see, Oh, how far am I off? Oh my gosh. My next patient's supposed to be in this room in five minutes. <laughs> and I haven't even finished it. What, what am I going to do? Oh my God. You know? So it's just like, it perpetuates the day. I gotta say, when we were on lockdown, I loved not having the pressure of the clock. It was so refreshing. I think because um, I'm so time oriented at work as well, and I feel the pressure for it. I even bring that into my social life. Like when I go places, I'm like 20 minutes early to things because I'm like, I can't be late. I can't be late. And like I look at being on time as being late because I'm just so stressed about time through my work day so much about being on time, being on time, being on time, and. And especially I worked in, um, years ago, I worked on Macquarie Street in Sydney and a lot of my patients were politicians and investment bankers. And so they'd walk in and say, I needed to be out of here five minutes ago. Mm. And if you were two minutes late, they would complain. So I really felt the pressure there 
be on time because they will not be happy if you're not. So I still have that anxiety years later. <laughs> it's, it's, it's rough. It's, yeah. you know, it's like you feel like this giant clock is sitting on your shoulders all day long, just pushing you down. It's yeah. just, it's really a tough, that's a tough aspect of what we do. Yeah. One um, of the great things about being a student is that you could take four hours to do your clean. But let me tell you, <laughs> let me tell you, being a clinical adjunct professor, they're still stressed out because they can't get it done in four hours. <laughs> Or it's funny, I was teaching them the one day because we have one dentist on the floor and they, you know, I forget the exact amount of students we have in the whole clinic at once, but they have to go through each, we have four pods set up in our clinic and they have to go through each pod and do all the medical clearances and then they have to do all the hard tissue exams. And so it's a lot of work that this one dentist has to do, you know, depend, some of them will follow in order that the, the hygienist, the student hygienist asked them to come because they'll have a sign-up sheet and others will just go pod by pod and do it that way. So some of them will come to me and say, oh, I'm still waiting for the doctor. I said, oh, this is a skill you need to learn right now. You need to learn the stink eye. Yeah. You need to learn how to stand and hover. And be like, doctor, I'm ready for you. You need to learn this now because you're going to be doing it forever. Yeah. So sharpen that skill right here so true just hanging around doorways <laughs> that was my life in general like, practice you're I, like the lurker of the yeah. practice yeah. My, did you forget about what? me again <laughs> oh i hate having to say that that was the worst oh my gosh i did yeah the computer awesome because my lunch <laughs> and that always happened with the patient that you were having trouble making small talk with it never happened with the patient you love. Never happens with the patient that you could spend half an hour with afterwards and go, yeah, this is great. I'll keep changing it. It's always with the patient that you're like, we've discussed everything. There is nothing left to talk about. Please come in here. <laughs> and then I would come in while the doctor was working on their patient. And like we used to play around and like be silly and funny. And he'd be like, again, already? <laughs> Or the assistant would go, my jaws was coming. And I'm like, yeah, that's me. I'm here. Thanks. I remember three years ago, I went to work for a dentist that had never had a hygienist before. And so in his head, he thought I was going to take all the cleans out of his book. He might even have nothing to do some days, but he would have all this free time. He would get all this extra time with patients. And then he came to me about a month later and he goes, oh, I've never been busier. <laughs> he goes, you're always in my room. You always want me. You keep sending more crowns to me and more implants and more work. He goes, I can't keep up. I was meant to get slower, not busier. And I was like, yeah, it's not going away. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> you have this perception all backwards. Yeah. That's so he's funny. like, you keep giving me too much work. I keep getting all these treatment plans. He's like, I can't keep up. Then you want an exam. And I'm like, yeah, this is how it works. And he's like, oh. Welcome to the world of having a hygienist. <laughs> so where do you think a hygienist fits in to a practice? How do you think we work as a team with us being in it? It definitely 
needs to be synergistic, right? Like we need to be able to work together and help each other out and um, understand. I think we, we don't always have a solid understanding of each other's roles in the practice. So it's, I think it's great when a hygienist kind of morphs through, like you and I both have the background of starting out as assistants. And I think that that's very helpful, not only for the assistants you work with, but also serving you as a hygienist because you understand that role and you know you you're able to relate to them and help them out like it's also great that if you have a break in your schedule and you see that they're all bogged down and behind and you know what I could take this patient in my room and I can work with the doctor and just help the flow I think that that dynamic is is essential instead of just saying oh I have a cancellation let me go sit and like check my Instagram and see what's going on in social media land. I think that shows that you're a team player and that um, you're, you're there for the, the benefit of the office. I think too, that we as a profession need to start sharing more what we know with the dentists because they don't, they get five minutes of this training in dental hygiene. And I know we talked about this a bit at the last episode, but like if you want to take this hygiene department that you're working with and you want to see it, you have a goal for it, you want to see where it's going to go and you, you need certain things to do that, that you need to have meetings with your, your dentist. I think that you need to, you know, set up these meetings and discuss your goals, discuss how you can implement certain things, discuss certain technologies that you want to be able to utilize and, and elevate the hygiene department. Things like, being more precise with your periodontal treatment and working with, with salivary testing. I think those are the things that make it exciting to be a hygienist. It's challenging and um, you're elevating your care. You're adding value to your patients and to the practice. So it's kind of like a no brainer. And I think that I think that we're scared a lot of times to, to make suggestions that have to do with the business side of dentistry. And I'm not going to say that I know business. I do not have a business degree. I do not have um, a degree. Well, I do have an organizational management degree, but it's not like an accounting or business in that sense kind of degree. I'm not going to say that I, I know how to do that, but sometimes just planting the seed about, hey, you know what? We're doing it this way. And why? Why are we doing it this way? Like, why are we participating with all these insurance companies? Because we're all frustrated about it. And it's not really, is it really benefiting the practice? You know, are we keeping patients based on their insurance carrier? Or are they really the patients that we enjoy treating? And, and, and are, are they the patient population that is unhealthy and wants to get well? Or is it the patient population who just wants their, you know, twice a year free cleaning, as they call it? And they don't want to hear anything else. They don't want to do anything else. And, and those patients, you know, I'm not trying to be rude, but they're, they're frustrating to treat because they just, they already know everything. They've already made that decision. And sometimes it's next to impossible to convert and educate them. And that's, those are the things that goes back to, that's what makes this sometimes frustrating because you own that, like I could have done better. How did, how come I couldn't get them to see it? How come I couldn't get them to change? How come I couldn't convince them that this is the better way to go? How come I couldn't use my expertise to make them understand that? So it's like that weighs, I know at least for myself, that would weigh a lot on me. And um, those, those, but I've realized that those are the tougher patients. And it's like, what are we setting ourselves up for in this practice? Are we setting ourselves up for success? 
or are we setting ourselves up to have difficult, frustrating days day in and day out because we're treating a patient population who might not be aligned with our mission for dentistry? So I think that's, that could be an imbalance sometimes in a practice. I was talking about this a little bit with someone today that um, sometimes, and you and I have had this discussion before too, sometimes you've got patients and you're like, oh, we should not start complex um, mm-hmm. dentistry with this patient. We should not dive into a $50,000 treatment plan for a full mouth rehab reconstruction with this patient because I can see the red flags now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we don't listen to our gut and all the, the discussion isn't taken on. And lo and behold, that patient creates more drama, more pain, more headache than any money they could pay would be worth. And learning to say, no, I'm not going to do treatment for you. No, we're not the right fit for each other. No, you're not complying. You're not listening. You're not, you're not paying attention to the oral hygiene instructions I want. So I'm not going to put $50,000 worth of implants in your mouth and have them all fail and take on the responsibility for it. I think we need to learn to say no in our profession and say, do you know what? It, it, we, and we're allowed to do this. We're not the right fit for each other. I think you need to find another dental practice. It's not an easy conversation, but it's going to save you a million headaches. Absolutely. <laughs> and I'm not, um, you know, suggesting to people to start dismissing all their patients and sitting around watching, like, their Instagram. I'm definitely not saying that. But I'm mm-hmm. saying that sometimes, like you said, some patients aren't the right fit for your practice and it's just creating a lot of heartache and headache and everything in between and sometimes it's better to say and that's what's great when you also have multiple hygienists in one practice you can then sometimes say maybe you should see the other hygienist and they may not be a problem with them they may be fine and it might be a personality issue like you know i think you're a better fit here um, or you know and they can do back to you but i think there's some patients just aren't a fit for your practice in general and you have to be careful about treating those patients and how you go about it. Definitely. And I think it's, it's tough because I've been in practices who are very like, you know, they know their mission, they're driven, they have goals, they have meetings, they have huddles and they want to be calibrated and everybody's on the same page. And then I've been in practices that kind of fly by the seat of your pants and it's, it's hard because it's like you want to do your best and you want to be able to serve your patients well and you want to be able to deliver, you know, high-level, excellent, cutting-edge dentistry. But if you don't know the rules to the game, how do you really play it, yeah. right? Or, like, you're playing – like, I feel like if we, we're in a practice and we are saying that we want to be, you know, up here and we want to deliver great dentistry and we want to um, change all – lives in a positive way and you've kind of like established yourself here but we're going to take five different insurance companies because i'm afraid that i'm going to lose half the patients in my practice even though they're not the people that want that kind of dentistry it's like you're setting yourself up for failure or at least you're definitely setting yourself up for stress so i think that a lot of practices don't have those two components aligned like what you want to do and the population that you're serving and you know, if you want to take insurance and serve a different patient population, that's fine. But I think you just have to make those adjustments so that you're you're playing the, the rules of the proper game. It's yeah. kind of like you went to a soccer game with a lacrosse stick. Otherwise, it's not going to work. You know? <laughs> you, need to, 
you need to be able to make it work with, you know, that. And if you want to evolve the practice and change the practice, I think that that's fine. You just have to start setting new rules and new goals and new systems and protocols and, and slowly it will change. I don't think that where you are now, if you have a goal to be something else that you can't get there, but um, you know, it, it all has to align. And a lot of times in dentistry, we want one thing, but we're doing another thing and it's, it's not aligning and it makes yeah. it stressful for definitely for the hygienist and, and for the other team members too. And if nothing changes, nothing changes. Right. So if you want things to change, you have to implement that change. You have to look at, well, do we want to change procedures? Do we want to change protocols? Do I want to change jobs? Do I want to change? Like, what am I going to do? And it keeps right. coming back to what we talked about a lot in the first episode. And we've mentioned it again is, interview that practice when you're going ask about what are their aims what do they want to achieve how are they going about doing that what do they expect from you and you know ask for a job description so it's written yeah. out and it's clearly there so you know like what is the job description can you please write that out so that you actually have clear guidelines of what is expected from you in that role write your own write your dream job description yeah and then present it to them you know, if as you're interviewing them that you decide that that's a kind of practice that you would be willing to work with, write it out, have a contract saying there, I want a three month performance review or six month performance review or, you know, have it in writing because otherwise, you know, knocking on the door and saying, hey, I'd like to have that moment to chat with you. It's just going to get pushed back and pushed back, pushed back. And guess what? You're going to come to work every week that it gets pushed back with this chip on your shoulder, we are already a little irritated before you started your day. Yeah. Because you don't feel like you're being valued and your worth is not being recognized. And it's going to be really hard for you to thrive in that kind of environment. So get it in writing and take control. It is your license. It is your livelihood. Take control of it. So what is your ideal practice? Well, that's a great question. <laughs> Since I'm in, in limbo right now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm at the point in my career, you know, being practicing for 20 plus years where, um, my body is starting to tell me I can't work as many hours as I used to. And I'm very blessed to work with equipment and technology like my airflow prophylaxis master that makes it less taxing on my body Yeah, and so beneficial for my patients. Um, but ideally I would love to be able to work one, two days max a week in either a high-end um, perio practice or I would like to follow my good buddy Siobhan's footsteps and initiate myself in oral surgery. I yeah. That would be cool. And just treating these advanced implant cases and, and using it just like the perio model, sharing. We're not taking away from the GP. We're just sharing. We're sharing yeah. patients. And this way uh, um, we can ensure that these patients are getting thorough treatment for their implant dentistry with the right tools and technology and be able to, um, you know, identify if there's any issues early on so we can try to avoid, you know, implant loss, explantation, infection, and all of these things. Sometimes it's inevitable, but um, I think a, a, a well-trained eye is going to see those things in the early stages and um, definitely helpful in managing implant cases.
it took me, you know, that well-trained eye, I'm still working on it. So I wouldn't say that my well-trained eye is, is top notch. I'm still, I'm still learning. I'm still growing. I know more about that now than I did, you know, eight years ago, for sure. Sometimes I feel like six months ago. But, uh... right? It does. It really does. <laughs> because it's just we're learning so much all the time and it's so increasing i even just right. think like year to year i'm like oh gee wish i yeah. knew that last year i wish i you know it's just it's always changing especially with implant industry i'm just learning more and more and more and loving it and i think totally. that's really good points to people think about what is for you but think big because maybe it is general practice and you love that and there's nothing wrong with it there's nothing wrong whatever your love is that's right maybe it's perio like melissa and i maybe it's orthodontics maybe you love being an ortho maybe you want to be with an old surgeon maybe you want to um go into academics or you want to go into research or you want to start your own mobile dentistry you want to start your own practice in australia that's something that we can do i know i'm not sure if that's something you can do in the usa at the moment no, no, it's certain some states, very. I know Colorado can. I, I think there's a few others, but they're minimal. Yeah, so there's so many things that you can do. Um, you know, going into aged care facilities and treating patients is something that we can do in Australia. I know they do that a lot in Canada as well. And there is lots of options. Um, one of our friends, Jolene, who's in Scotland, they've opened up a hygiene practice. And they're just doing, you know, it's fantastic. What are they? It's called Floss Bar, I think. And, you know, it does. so adorable. Yeah, I know. It's so cute. And um, there's so many different things. You might go into education in a private area like you and I both have and or into the university level like you have as well. And so there's so many things that you can do. And it's really only as limited to what you can think of. Absolutely. So, so my think about what you want. Yeah. Dream big. My big, big dream would be that I could have my own practice. And not so much that I would be practicing, but I would totally get the greatest hygienists. And I don't even care if they're fresh out of school, but as long as they are motivated and excited and want to do great for their patients and really focus on healthcare, I would take them under my wing and we would just have so much fun doing hygiene all day long. And let me tell you, whatever dentist would want to be affiliated with us, we would keep them busy, 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 busy. Because I think, yeah, one of the big things you and I both dream about, and you could this would integrate into your model so well, is being more part of the overall healthcare system. Yes. And that's another thing. Like, here's another. My, my good friend Eileen Prizzi and I talk about this all the time. Let's forget about dentistry and let's just go work in medicine. Yeah. You know, uh, how come I can't be in a cardiologist practice taking samples of biofilm out of a patient's mouth, throwing them under a microscope, identifying them and saying, see these bugs in your mouth? This is making your cardiovascular disease worse. Why can't I be working in endocrinology? We know yeah. that biofilm, you know, periodontal pathogens have been found in the synovial fluid of rheumatoid arthritis patients. We know it's in the brains of Alzheimer's patients, the ginger pains, which are a result of P. gingivalis. It, the connections are all there. And this kind of brings us back full circle to how we started this episode about, you know, what Dr. Fons discovered when he employed dental hygienists and the systemic impact that it had on patients. Why are we not running with this? Why is our profession not running in the streets, screaming this and making everybody aware 
that the care we provide changes lives and impacts lives in a meaningful way. We have so much healthcare debt in this country and we could, I, I wouldn't say hygienists would eliminate that, but we could definitely help reduce those expenses. Imagine if every endocrinologist, when they diagnose someone with diabetes and they do part of their plan, they say, go next door and see my dental hygienist. That would be amazing. That would yeah. be amazing. And these are the dreams that like, I, I want them to become a reality because we can serve people in such a meaningful way. I think we need to, to get out of the box we've been in for 100 years. And as yeah. innovative as Dr. Phones and Irene Newman were, I like to say this a lot, I certainly don't practice the way Irene Newman did. No. She blazed a trail, but now it's time for us to blaze the next one. And as dentistry changes, just like we don't want to use the pedal drill anymore, like, you know, it, that was once state-of-the-art, but it's changed and we're moving forward. We need to keep evolving as a profession and keep pushing forward. Talking about the name of this and saying this episode, we're going to call it I'm a Hygienist, Hear Me Raw. I really want us to stand up and say, be proud of who you are. Be amazingly proud of this profession. Be proud of what you've achieved. Be proud of what you can do. But we are still got a long way to go. So sing it from the rooftops. Tell everyone how great this is and what we can bring because we actually need the public in general to realise who we are. Now, America is much better at patients knowing what a dental hygienist is, but I can't even count the amount of times a patient say to me, so are you one of the dental nurses that the dentist trained up? Did you learn mm. on the job? No, mm. no. <laughs> I am a dental hygienist. So many of our patients in Australia don't actually, because we're a new profession when you think about it, only really yeah. starting in 1975. Um, we have a lot of patients that still don't know who we are, a lot of dentists that don't even understand what we do and how we can work together. And so we have a lot, we've got a big fight still ahead of us. And for all the new grads and even people who've been out for as long as me, there's time for you to be a trailblazer, <laughs> like stand up. There's so many things that we can do and the way we can really advance this profession. And part of that is people understanding who we are and what we do. Right. But that has to come from within as well. You have to know what you do and what you're capable of and you have to be proud of what you are and what you do. And then that will, that will naturally hopefully progress when we're singing it from the rooftop saying, I'm a dental hygienist and it's freaking amazing. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I want to inspire everybody who is listening to this podcast and hopefully by the time you hear it, it's still Dental Hygiene Awareness Month and you can post it before the month's end. Um, Lysandra Mazianette worked with the Pennsylvania Dental Hygienist Association and they made an amazing YouTube video called um, The Best Cat Secret in Healthcare. And it's all about us and our profession and the screenings that we do and the link. She actually has um, a doctor, his name is Dr. Charles Whitney. He's a regular MD who believes in treating patients and the root cause of disease. And he so deeply believes in the care that we provide impacts patients' lives systemically. And I believe that he's launching a course on um, the dental professional's role in, in Alzheimer's detection. I think awesome. so watch out for that. But he's in this video too. So it's, we have medical doctors supporting what we do, you know, and it's just linking up and finding those people. And 
I, I am just so grateful for my journey and learning because it's led me here because even five years ago, I didn't know these things, you know, and, and I just think it's fun how my, my quest for treating my implant patients better led me to airflow, which led me to learning more about biofilm, which led me to that educating myself more about the systemic impact and, and the, the changes that we can make in just treating our patients differently. So um, it's there. There's our people are there. We just have to network and connect with them, and and let our voice be heard. We, you know, the majority of people have social media platforms, and and not everyone on your platform follows dentistry or is is in the dental yeah. field. So put little posts in there saying, "Hey, did you know that you know brushing your teeth twice a day removes the pathogenic bacteria in your mouth and makes you healthier?" And like tell them why. And, and we can all do our part in our little corner of the universe to share and, and educate. And, you know, my patients knew in my practice not to call what I did a cleaning because I don't do, I don't do cleanings. That's not what I do. I manage biofilm. I screen you for disease. I help save your life. I mean, it's the best when you take a blood pressure reading on a patient and it's high and that's not the best part of it, but it's high and you take it and you take it again and you take it again and it's still in the level and you're like, listen, I am concerned. I don't think it's smart for us to do this treatment today. I think the better choice of your time today is to go see your doctor and have this evaluated because there's something going on here. Your body is not in a, a homeostasis. It's, it's stressed out. And I would really prefer you go see your medical doctor and figure this out. And then that patient come back a few months later and say, you saved my life. They yeah. put me on blood pressure medication. That is what keeps me going. That is what gets me through those tough times that we've discussed because what other profession can you do that? Where somebody has no idea that they're sick and you detect it, you screen it and you send them to get help and they come back and tell you, you saved my life. Or you screened something, you, you detected something that you thought was suspicious in oral cancer and you send them to oral surgery, they biopsy, it comes back and they come back to you and say, you saved my life. Who else can do that but us? So a question I get off patients all the time, this is something we talked a little bit about before we started recording as well, is a lot of patients say to me, well, after they figured out that I wasn't a dental nurse that trained on the job and I've actually gone to school, um, they say to me, so why didn't you just become a dentist? Do you get that? I get that, and I, I don't like that question. Me so either. Smart. Why don't you just be a dentist? You're just like a mini dentist anyway. I hate that question. I've even had some dentists say it to me, and they've tried to say it in a nice way, but I found it really offensive. Mm. You know, you're wasted here. You should do dentistry. Oh. And I'm like, oh. like, don't be so rude to me. <laughs> because I... I didn't want to, I don't want to do dentistry. I don't want to take teeth out. Yuck. And like, this is no offense to dentists. Like if you enjoy it and we definitely need you, thank God you're there because I had to get my wisdom right. teeth out and one day I might need a filling and all of those things. Like they're really important jobs. I do not want to take away from that Absolutely. at all. But I love what I do and I don't want to do that stuff. I love prevention. I don't actually want to drill teeth. I don't want to take teeth out. I never want to do a root canal in my life. Mm. I wanted to fall asleep every time I assisted one. I definitely don't want to do one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're the worst. And so totally the worst. I love what I do. I love the prevention side of that. And that's what I think makes me so proud about being a dental hygienist is how preventative focused we are. 
it's I about that prevention. Yeah. It is. It's it's a totally different aspect. I'm not cutting teeth. I am not. I, I would love it when kids would come in my room and say, oh, you're not going to do this to me today. You're like, you're right. I'm not because I'm not allowed to use that silly drill yeah. and I don't want to. You know, I, I, I love being able to focus on prevention. It's, it's just a totally different mindset, totally different approach. And, um, you know, I hope in the future our degree requirements are higher. I, I would love to see us have a master's degree and be able to be off on our own doing our thing. I think we we're smart enough, and I, I I hope that our profession as a whole embraces that because I mean, and I don't even have a master's degree myself right now. You're working on yours. I got to get on. I got to get like that fire. No, I'm being but, killed by mine. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Be careful what you wish for, Melissa. Um, but no, I, I am so proud to be a dental hygienist and it is just even like as a baby hygienist, what I, I was proud to be going to school. I was, couldn't wait to have those three letters behind my name. I was proud when I got there, but who I am today, like I, I want to tell my 1999 graduate hygienist that I was, that there is no ceiling. Yeah, there is no ceiling hook up with great dentists, hook up with great hygienists, learn, 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 and never say, never take no for an answer. Um, That's Melissa, advice I would give myself. What would you tell your former self? I say Melissa has a great um, uh, Facebook group called New, New and Unstuck Hygienists. And I posted a picture in there the other day that said, if um, five, five years ago you could see you now, they'd be really proud. And I think... That is that when you're struggling as that new grad, you're gonna look back at you're gonna if you could see yourself now, you'd be like, yes. <laughs> so I think my advice for that that new grad is it does get easier. You'll still be challenged if you let yourself be challenged. Like we keep finding ways to challenge ourselves and learning more, and that's an, an amazing thing. But it will be a different type of challenge. It won't be as scary as it is in the beginning. It will get easier. And I think the biggest part of, biggest bit of advice I want to give new grads is you are going to get asked to do things that you don't agree with. You're going to get asked to do things that aren't right. That, that's what comes down to it. And at the end of the day, all you've got is your ethics and your morals and stand yep. by them. And that's not going to be a hard thing to do an easy thing to do sorry it's gonna be hard there's gonna be times yeah. where you get pushed and questioned don't sway that's my best advice be proud of everything that you do don't sway and that you probably as the new grade going oh my god what happened like <laughs> you know it's not always terrible terrible things but there's going to be things that you might sway and then you feel terrible about it and achieve nothing in the end so just stand by what you believe in and if you're always putting the patient first, if, if your beliefs are patient-centred and your wants are patient-centred, just do the right thing by your patients and everything will work out. Like that, that's what you need to do. And if you're at a practice where that isn't the focus, that, that they don't want you to do the right thing, then maybe that's not the right practice for you. Because you have to be able to put your head on the pillow at night and know that you've done everything to the best of your ability and you've treated the people you were called to serve well. Yeah. 
that's that's what it comes down to you know kindness love compassion i mean that's another thing our 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 profession is centered on that yeah right and and you can't say that if you work in like a corporate environment that what i do is centered around kindness love and compassion not in in some yes but not in all yeah so and I think if you always stay true to that and you establish, you know, what kind of hygienist am I going to be? And, and you like journal that down, you know, and, and say, these are what I, these are the things I want to accomplish this year. This is my main mission in my operatory. And, you know, if you have a questionable thing that comes up in the practice, look back to that. And if it doesn't fit, don't do it. Yeah. And have honest discussions with your employer because, Sometimes you don't feel great about something. Talk to them and they might totally understand with you. Don't just, I'm never just saying just quit and leave. Have a discussion right. because they might That's say to thing. you, you know what, I didn't think about it from that perspective and I hear you and I validate and I feel, and, I, you know, and they validate what you say and you change that and that can happen. They might go, oh, I didn't even think it could be perceived by that. Exactly. So have discussions. Um, they're difficult but you've got to have those tough discussions because they're really important discussions to have and enjoy your career because it's, it's really fun. And, yes. um, you know, I am so happy that I found dental hygiene. It's allowed me to do so many things, so many opportunities I've been able to give my kids and myself. And I've met so many amazing people that I don't really have any, many non-dental friends anymore. And like, <laughs> you know, I really just embraced it, but it, I've met so many amazing people Lister included, you know, I've got to travel and meet people and meet like-minded people and share our ideas and things like that. And it's brought me so many amazing experiences from patients to clinicians to, to work colleagues that I feel really, really lucky. Me too. I, I mean, you know, I feel like whatever you believe in is your own personal belief, but I feel for me like God put me on this journey and put it on my heart to treat patients a specific way and it has this journey has just led me to so many amazing people like you know if if i never met siobhan i wouldn't have met you or miranda mm -hmm. or joe grasnick or nicole fortune and siobhan and i you know if we didn't work together and create dental implants uncovered where that brought so many amazing clinicians together like carmen lanaway too like you know there's just so many amazing hygienists that we have been able to connect with through stepping outside of that, the little box, stepping outside of the comfort zone and being able to just, you know, say to myself, you are enough to get up in front of these people and share what you know. Because it's scary when you first yeah. start presenting and speaking, it's scary. But, um, you know, to just have, have these connections with people who believe in you, even when you don't believe in you. And I think that that's so important. And, you know, know that you're enough. If you got through hygiene school and you got through your boards, you're enough. So, you know, you've got it. You've already got it. You just got to keep on pushing yourself. You know, it's, you have the drive to do it. Continue. Don't, don't let it fall too far after that. Yes, you need a break, but you know, keep on moving forward. And, um, you know, Tabitha mentioned the group I had created new and unstuck RDH. And, and I really started it to focus on bridging the gap for new clinicians, because I feel like we let them out of school and you're a little lost and you don't really have that support system. But 
as I started it, I realized, you know what, us seasoned hygienists need this support too. So it's kind of evolved already. And um, there's been some great interaction in that group. So please go ahead and join it if you're also on Facebook Um, and contribute, share, you know, I I think it's just important that, you know, we, we let each other know that we have bad days and we're not perfect. And, you know, we, we do the best we can every day. And there's so many circumstances that affect the work we do. And, you know, it just is, I think as long as you're getting up and you're motivated to do your best every day and, and you're also able to say, Ooh, that didn't work. So let me course correct. I think those are important things. And, you know, just kind of like being coachable in a sense, if yeah. you are able to hook up to a mentor and, and take that constructive criticism and be able to apply it and do better. Cause if somebody cares enough to say, Hey, listen, I see you're doing this and you could do it this way and you'll get a better result. You know, that's, that's somebody who cares and wants to see you succeed. You know, yeah. there's a difference between, um, you know, just negative criticism, but if somebody is giving you a solution to something they might be struggling with, they want to see you be successful. So be comfortable and, I, and be open. And I think, yeah, change, it, it's inevitable. It's in everything. And it may be small things, but be really open to change, be open to new technologies, new way of doing things. The way I treat my patient now is so different to when I graduated. And that's because when I graduated, I learned with the latest technology for that time and the latest skills, but then that's not the same anymore. That's changed. So even for hygienists that have been out 15, 20 years, you need to keep reevaluating, looking at the scientific evidence, looking at the changes, because if you're still practicing how you were 20 years ago, then you're not giving your patient the best possible outcomes because we need to keep changing with the technology you know when i graduated it was all about calculus 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 and by from whatever it was there the profi that i did at the end was for making the patient happy it wasn't therapeutic right now i understand the therapeutic needs for biofilm and it's not all about calculus, it's about biofilm and calculus. And biofilm is actually way worse. You know, so all of those things have changed and evolved. And if, if we're not staying up to date, then, you know, when I graduated, we were root planing. Right, same. You know, and we now know that that's not the correct method. We want to be root debriding. And so right. we need to keep up with those changes. And I think that's the biggest thing is be open to change and, and really move with it because that is what's going to keep your career exciting and give your patients the best outcomes. Yep. When I graduated, they said, make the root feel like glass. <laughs> no, I remember. No, that's not good. <laughs> We've just eliminated any ability for any kind of attachment. There's some more patients we need to apologize to. But, you know, yeah, the- I'm sorry. <laughs> I did the best I could with what I knew then. I know better now. I do better now. I swear. And But that's it. At that time, though, you provide the best level of care to our knowledge. Yeah. And that's all we can do is stay with the evidence. Don't get upset when things change. It's just we're learning more. Everyone's learning. The researchers are learning more. And, you know, what we say is amazing today may not be the same in a couple of years' time. We may be seeing something different. Definitely. Definitely. It's a, it's an evolutionary process. Yeah. So, Hey, disruptors. Thanks for being with us today and listening to our chats. Tabitha and I, I'm sure that you've well know at this point that we love our profession so much and we just hope to motivate and inspire others to feel the same way and, you know, practice 
don't don't shoot for the standard of care. Shoot for beyond it, because it's a good place to be. Any closing remarks, Tabitha? Um, thank you for taking the time to listen to us. If you have, I really appreciate that. That's actually quite a big honour for us that you're spending some time listening to us chat with each other. And if you have suggestions, send us an email. Um, which, or you can go onto our Instagram or to our Facebook and leave a comment and just let us know what you think you'd like us to talk about or subjects you'd like to hear about and we'll try and make that happen. Or if you're a badass hygienist, let us know and we'd love to have you on the show too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so please make sure you leave us a review when you listen and subscribe and share. We so, so, so appreciate it. We're just growing our disrupting dentistry family. Yeah, and keep disrupting. Keep disrupting. Have a great week, everybody. Bye.